everyone. This is Dr. Pillay with the Work Proud Podcast. And today I have a very special guest, Mr. Jim Smith. Now, I say Jim is very special for a couple of reasons. I've met him on LinkedIn and his profile shocked me. He went straight for the juggler when it came to topics about employee experience. And Jim, you basically said there are two kinds of employee experience. There is the one that is all theoretical. There is the one that consultants like to use all over the place. Then there's a different kind of employee experience that is straight from the CEO. That is about numbers, about evidence, about tangible results. And you are a warrior, Jim, for the type of employee engagement and employee experience that is from the CEO's office. How are you doing today, Jim? It's a pleasure to meet you finally. I'm doing very well. And your comment about being a warrior, uh, believe me, in what we do, we have to be warriors because there's a lot of people at the executive level who don't want to do what they should do. That's our life is figuring out ways to change their minds or indeed to force them to do what the employees think should be done because it's such a fundamentally good idea. Absolutely. And in fact, that's a great segue into me asking you to help us define the challenge as you see it with your unique perspective. And we're going to get into that warrior stance about the differences between how some people describe employee experience versus how it really is in the real world. But tell us what the big problem of employee experience really is from your perspective. Well, since I only sell our services directly to the CEO, I have you know a different view. And from giving those presentations, and typically I'm giving a presentation to the CEO and the officers, And typically, they've never been told that employee engagement can affect the stock price or the income statement. That's what they're concerned about. They have a board of directors, and they're there to run the company profitably. So earnings per share is what drives a lot of public companies. And I I focus on that only because I've never worked with a large private company. But I got to believe the owners care about the same thing as the investors do. So when I give these presentations, I try to keep it to 15 minutes for an hour meeting because they've never heard or seen anything like this. And the 45 minutes that's left is always like a machine gun of questions because how can one guy walk in here and have this answer when we've never heard of anything like this? So it's like selling something that's too good to be true. Mm. That is the most difficult sale there can ever be. Yeah. Right. So um, what we do in that 15 minutes is explain to them that employee engagement and their earnings are not separate issues. If, If you can't tie the two together, then it's just an exercise in optics. And I don't like speaking, I don't want this to sound like I'm anti HR. But let's just be honest, HR is in no position to force disinterested leadership to make changes. They're not. They they can't. How many CHROs would keep their career if every time they did a study and their peer officers didn't want to make the changes, that CHRO then say, well, I'm going to take you and me to the CEO and we're going to duke it out. (laughs) That is never going to happen, right? No, no. But in effect, that's exactly what we do. Wow. So instead of casting some scientific survey, 
we simply script a five-minute video of the CEO explaining to the, to the employees what he's, he or she is going to do or what they are doing yep. and uh, asks them one simple question, which is, I want you to tell me the 10 dumbest things the company does. Mm. And it can be anything if it's something that interferes with your happiness or something dumb that we're doing that impacts our earnings. Anything is okay. But mm -hmm. what's different about what we're doing is that we've hired this third-party company. They're going to collect the data, and they report directly to me, and they're going to try to get these things executed every single day for the next 10 weeks. Wow. And when they run into a blocker. They say, well, okay, that's fine. You and I, we disagree. We think you're, you're not right on blocking this. So let's escalate it to the next level of management and have the same discussion. Mm. And I can tell you in 25 years of doing this, uh, only one person ever took the challenge of blocking something all the way to the CEO. It was a disaster. I mean, yeah. the gentleman lost a 27-year career. So wow. human nature plays a big part in this. Yeah, yeah. You know, in fact, I, I have to say that you know, I've, I'm sure anyone listening can already see that we got to put our boxing gloves on here because this is going to be a tough conversation. And I love tough conversations because the truth is, you're right. This is not, you know, about happy dance. We're not here just to make people happy or to use the buzzwords of engagement. We're here to actually help people create results. And that's what the CEO is interested in. I'd love to know, though, Jim, how did you get on this path? What made you this, what made you this get straight to the point guy when it comes to this topic? What is, was there some defining moment in your career? Tell us your story. How did you get here? I got here because I, <clears throat> I got into uh, IT uh, through pure dumb luck. And I ended up spending the first 10 years of my IT career eventually managing two very, very large IT organizations. Uh, by the time I was 28, I was running one of the, well, the largest privately owned network in the world, which was TRW's credit reporting business. And what I learned in that 10 years and didn't know I learned it was that I was running two businesses where the computers were the only source of revenue for the company. They weren't overhead. So later in my career, when I ended up at one of the nation's uh, largest banks, I was dumbfounded at the difference in management philosophy when you look at IT as an overhead versus a business generator. Yeah. And so it was just so easy for me to go into a, you know, an $85 billion bank, look at IT and say, oh my God, let's fix this, let's fix that. And the number of times I got into real serious pushback from leaders uh, who were pushing back for political reasons, not for PL reasons. And I had to figure out a way, how am I going to fight this? I don't have the political power, so to speak, to overcome what the CFO wants to do. And so I had to find ways to build a better business case for the change than the blockers could build for not changing. Mm. And that did it. Once the facts were all out on the table, uh, a great mentor of mine once told me that it's easy to defend doing something dumb. It's really hard to sell it. Yeah. 
So put people in a position of explaining why it's such a good idea to do something dumb like block, block this. Mm-hmm. And that made all the difference. And so then I moved on for the next 10 years. I became a consultant where I would go into companies reporting to the CEO. I would assume responsibility for their IT organization and I would fix it. Mm-hmm. And I would leave by helping them find the right CIO to take my place. You know, I, I hear words from you that are just so powerful, such as blockers. I hear you say things about um, even you, your organization, your consulting firm is paid only by results. I hear you talk about how politics is driving uh, uh, results or lack of results versus actual technology or employee engagement. And you've come up with a system that is so focused on employee engagement. Now, we know how to measure employee engagement. There are surveys, there are ways to measure that. But how do you inspire it? How do you actually help HR inspire employee engagement so that the CEO can begin to see the results they're looking for? Well, we should have covered this earlier. HR is never involved in one of our projects. Ah, so you basically are bypassing HR 100%. Yes, and they have trouble with that, as you might understand. Yeah, hence the word blockers that you mentioned earlier. Here's the problem. Let's look at this from an employee point of view. They've been through surveys for years, and they never really see anything happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's because HR can't force that you know, change on the leadership. Well, when we do the statistics from our, our work, HR is always a huge part of the problem. And it's not because they're bad people or untrained or inexperienced. It be, it's because the perception from the employee's point of view is they don't get anything done. So when we do this, they are treated equally like every other department. They're going to get their fair share of criticisms that they're going to have to work on. And and our experience is they're going to be way too busy doing their own stuff to worry about everybody else's stuff. So, you know, know, Jim, when I started this conversation, (laughs) I promised our listeners and our viewers that this was going to be some tough talk. And boy, you have delivered. Because as I'm hearing this, as I'm listening to this, if you're an HR person, basically, you might think that you have been you know, singled out as more of the problem than the solution. And so my question is, how do you do this? How do you help HR feel supportive or comfortable enough to step aside while you help the CEO take employee engagement and connect it to results? How exactly do you do that? Well, I hate, I hate that this may sound like I'm some kind of a jerk, but HR doesn't get to vote. I'm working for the CEO. <laughs> okay. And in one case, I told the CEO, we're going to deliver $300 million in expense reduction in 10 weeks. Now, once he believed that, no one really cared what HR thought. Mm. Right? And I don't mean that to sound, again, negative on HR. It's yeah. just human nature and the reality. The CHRO is one seat at the table. That's it. One vote. And that vote almost always goes with the consensus Mm. because CEO. Now, remember, I have attended hundreds of CEO staff meetings. The politics at that staff meeting is let's all hold hands and agree. Mm -hmm. There's it's just not acceptable for those folks to get into fights. Mm -hmm. Right. So we just cut through all of that. If you want to go with one of my people or me to the CEO staff meeting and argue for, in one case, keeping the airplanes. 
then I'll give, you know, and these are rules that we engage with the CEO right up front. So in, in one case, and this, this gives another example why the HR and the survey approaches don't work. So the reason the HR survey thing doesn't work so well is because the employees never see anything happen during the time they can comment. So in our case, if a good idea pops up today, the owner of that solution only has two days to make the change. Mm-hmm. And then we announce it. So if you imagine employees having 10 weeks to answer the CEO's question, all during that 10 weeks, they're seeing stuff happen that they never believed would happen. Mm -hmm. So in the case that I was explaining that um, the employees hated the jets because they're going to lay off people. And it didn't seem right that you should lay off 3000 people and you guys are still flying around on a whole fleet of jets. So I took that to the office of the chair, the CEO, brilliant man, he said, you know, that's right. It's hardly fair that we're flying around in jets at the same time we're complying with the Federal Warren Act and announcing 3,000 layoffs. He announced that day that the jets were going to be for sale. So with 800 employee inputs in our hands, that announcement goes out after the market closes. That was a Tuesday. Seven days later, the 800 grew to 4,700. Now think about that. What happened there? The employees all of a sudden figured out, oh my, something different's happening here. Well, you know, Jim, and and I want to know what that difference is, because in all fairness, you've made an excellent case for why a lot of HR can maybe just, you know, maybe move aside and and don't stop the progress. However, HR also knows that that they have this challenge about being at the seat of the table, and they are working, a lot of people in HR are working to try to, you know, be more numbers driven, be more business driven and be at the table. So the question is really, how do you get employees engaged? How do you connect it to the business bottom line that the CEO cares about? And I I think you've got it, but you haven't really given me a do this first, do that second, do that third. Do you have something like that? Do this first, take set, let HR set this one out. We're not eliminating HR. We're just saying, you need to be treated just like all the other departments. Got it. That's number one. That's number okay. one. Number two is the CEO is asking the survey question, not HR. And uh-huh. it's only one question. Number three is that a third party is collecting those answers and fighting the gauntlet that is the politics, the culture, and the siloed management. Got it. And if there's a fourth one, and there's a very important fourth one, mm-hmm. the fourth one is... If you're going to be killing sacred cows, and remember, these are the perception of employees, not some label I put on something. If you're going to be killing sacred cows, you need to be announcing it every day so employees see that something different is happening. Got it. That is very clear. Now I I get the the process. You're basically saying, HR, love you, but we want you to sit aside for this one. Number two, you're going to be collecting as an outsider with different who is not part of any politics, as you've said, you're going to be collecting that information. You're going to be processing it and advising the CEO on things that have to be done to improve employee engagement. And then you're going to be implementing it. So that's, I I get that now. Let's talk a little bit about results. How do you know when um, an an organization is humming the right way? Do you have some indicators that that you can see beyond the the, the surveys you may conduct? 
how do you know when success is being achieved using this non-HR approach? Well, we get paid based on the impact on the income statement. So when we're done, the accounting department, now these are public companies. Yep. Whatever, whatever they say we did is always large enough that they're going to have to tell the public about it. In other yep. words, their next analyst meeting, they're going to have to disclose what happened. Yep. You, can't, you can't take $300 million out of somebody's expense, even though it's a $13 billion company. You can't take $300 million out and not explain to the analysts uh, what happened, mm-hmm. right? So we have 75% of our fee based on whatever number accounting comes up with. Mm-hmm. And that's not something we get to debate. I mean, because they're going to go public with it. So it's yeah. a very serious number. Wow. So in effect, I guess you could say, and we do say, uh, our end deliverable is a new business plan. I was going to say something like right. that because, you know, you know, sure, asking some people to, to, uh, to open up the gate is a good first strategy. Um, but I think what you're doing is you're, you're replacing it with really what should be done. And I'm assuming when you leave a company, they should have learned something from your implementation approach. Is that correct? Well, in this big example that I use, we ended up with 10,000 inputs from 23,000 employees. Mm. After we got rid of the duplicates and the non-conforming ones, and when I say non-conforming, if somebody has an idea that could save money, but it represents a risk, yep. well, we're not going to do it, right? Okay. So it was a good idea, except it represented a risk to safety or customer service or a regulatory issue. So when we sorted it all out and got rid of the duplicates and the non-conforming ones, the company approved 3,900 actions mm-hmm. out of that 10,000. Now, if you think about a company with 23,000 employees, you spread those 3,000 or almost 4,000 things mm-hmm. across that many people. No one was really burdened in a great way. In other words, we didn't have to start a capital project to save money. Yeah. Uh, the vast majority of that 3,900 were things that they just had to stop doing because they didn't make sense once they were viewed in the light of day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when employ again, when employees see you doing things that they never thought you'd do, like killing dumb policies, killing sacred cow, whole departments. Yeah. Uh, how can you not become engaged yeah. when you just saw management <laughs> actually listen to what you said? Yeah. You know, those, those, um, points you've made are just so important. And I want to go a little deeper into the softer uh, aspects of engagement. You know, there's obviously a lot of science and a lot of research that supports the fact that there are things you can do to help employees feel more engaged. For example, you could show them action, as you've just explained. Hey, things are changing around here. Let's get in line, right? That's one way. There's also recognition. When you recognize them and provide them incentives to be more engaged, or you Create a culture where there's greater happiness and job pride, you know, pride in your work, pride in the company. Tell us a little bit about those kinds of approaches to creating better engagement with employees. Well, I have to confess that's not in our program. Ah. In other words, in other words, there are people who do that. Okay. But if you do those things first, then all the BS things that we're cutting out stare them right in the face and offset the recognition. I mean, just like it's all the studies prove that benefits, salary, recognition, those are fleeting benefits because once 
they are realized and taken for granted, the culture problems are right there, still staring them in the face, mm-hmm. right? So to prove our proof, for example, that uh, this is sustainable is that this company's stock price was at 19 when we did all this work. Mm-hmm. And within six months, it was 34. Today, it's 90. Now, we didn't cause that, but we got rid of a lot of the roadblocks that prevented them from getting there. Mm-hmm. That 3,900 items, there were some biggies in there that were, you know, sending bullies home and that kind of thing yep. that have a very sustainable impact on a company's performance. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And now if, uh, I don't know, I didn't stay close enough with them, but it's possible somebody came in and did the touchy-feely stuff because they are constantly being uh, awarded best company for females, best company for minorities. It's a, it's just a truly great company. I don't yep. think we had a lot to do with that, mm-hmm. but we sure did give them $300 million to play with. Yep. So So let me ask you how you deal with pushback. So for example, at the end of the day, Someone may say, hey, wait a second, this isn't just touchy-feely stuff, right? This is at the core of how human beings wake up in the morning and feel motivated to do anything. And if we push that aside and just focus on sort of the tougher approach and only results, we may alienate a lot of people and, and we need those people. So is, there, it, 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 is it and or is it or? I mean, can we have both of these approaches together? Uh, or, or must it be only one very tough approach? That's I the, think. I, yeah, I think every approach contributes something. Okay. It just does. Mm-hmm. But until you get rid of the stuff that drives employees nuts, that's yeah. different than the stuff that motivates them. Okay. This is the stuff that gets in their way of actually wanting to come to work in the morning. Yeah. And that's what we're dealing with. We're trying to create an environment where – this may sound silly, but people really do tell us when this thing is done. Uh, we didn't think you could do this. Mm. I've had three CEOs say to me, Jim, this is the craziest thing. We, as When you left the presentation, we agreed to do this. Mm-hmm. But we also didn't think you could do it. <laughs> you know, And I'm thinking to myself, well, why did you hire me then? Well, I think with all this HR, people analytics, um, new surveys, new approaches, recognition, HR has the responsibility and none of the authority. So you can hardly blame them for looking for silver bullets. Yeah. There aren't any silver bullets. You've got to deal with the tough stuff that nobody wants to confront. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right that HR... Uh, may have responsibility and maybe not enough of authority in most companies and traditionally. However, I think that is changing. And I appreciate the fact that you do agree that there is a role for both the, the perspective you bring and also um, the idea that, you know, people are people and they need motivation and engagement and, and happiness. You know, uh, I wouldn't call them touchy-feely, but I'm trying to be a devil's advocate for you here. Um, so I think in, in wrapping this up, You've given a, a very important perspective here. You know, normally we talk about, you know, those those feelings like like pride and and culture and and you know behavior and, and behavior change and things like that. Um, but rarely do we get someone so focused on connecting engagement and experience to the bottom line. 
if you were talking to a skeptic, someone who completely disagrees with you, <laughs> how would you make your final case? Well, uh, there are no shortage of skeptics in my life. Uh, <laughs> and so I just basically say, what is the purpose of doing an employee engagement? If it's to make people happy, uh, we may not be your right choice. Mm. But if the purpose of doing employee engagement is to improve the performance of the company, we are absolutely the right choice. You may do other things too. But again, our whole process here is eliminating the stuff that drives employees nuts. And our fees are based on the income statement improvement. Yeah. I think if you can do that, you ought to do that. And if you can't do that, then you should probably admit that you're into the, the soft areas, uh, but you're not going to get paid based on improving the business. Well, I hear you. Uh, I, and that's why I, I certainly do not run away from contrary opinions. And I wanted to hear your opinion because when I saw some of the points you were making online, I found them very strong and actually very much needed. We need that voice that says, hey, guys, let's just stop throwing theories around. <laughs> let's start talking about what's working and what's not working as it relates to the uh, uh, bottom line and a CEO's perspective. I, so I think that's very important. And you, you absolutely deliver on that. Where you and I may, may have a little bit of a difference or maybe a gap in our perspective is really on the importance of those things that help create engagement that are not necessarily only driven by dollars, right? Um, you know, there are motivators that are based on behavior change and leadership and teamwork and what you might call the softer skills but I might call people skills. So I think we're, we're both in agreement. And I would say it's, it's a both, both things need to work together. Would you agree with that? Yes, I have, like I've said, 25 years of doing this. Mm -hmm. Every time we complete one of these, we do a lessons learned day, yep. a whole day of all the consultants. Uh, we get together and what, what happened in the last yeah. 10 weeks. And then we score all 3,900 of those items, just using one example. Yep. What category does that fall into? And things like benefits, salary, and recognition, none of those are in the top 10. Mm, now, this isn't our scoring. This is what the, you know, the categories of things employees are telling us they'd like the company to do. Uh, some of this stuff is revenue, where somebody had an idea and it's been rejected five times, but it's absolutely dead on. Yeah. But that particular manager or executive just doesn't want to do it. Well, those people who are supporting that are pretty jazzed up when that gets pushed through without them risking their political standing within the organization. Yeah. So I can't, I can't make this be something it isn't. I've got 25 years of data that shows most of the things the employee engagement industry is talking about they don't hit the top 10. Wow. Wow. You know, you do not pull any punches, my friend, Jim. And that's one of the things that uh, excites me about this conversation. Uh, I love to hear different opinions. And you're one of the few people, a few voices uh, that are this strong over here. I think there's a middle ground and I think we'll leave it at that. But before we, we wrap up, how can people find you? Um, you are obviously on LinkedIn, but do you have any other special ways that people should reach out to you? Uh, 
No, really, just LinkedIn. And, and here's okay. why. I've had a website for 25 years. And remember, we sell only to CEOs. Mm-hmm. I have never, and I've had some real good people redesign and redesign and redesign. I have never received a single call from the website. Not mm, one. Interesting. Yeah. Not one. It, 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 it speaks to the power years. of social media too. LinkedIn has become quite a force, hasn't it? Well, I'm almost completely retired. Mm. I'm not selling on LinkedIn. I'm looking for people, and this happens all the time. They don't want to ask me questions in public, so they connect, and then we have private discussions. Yep. Right? And I wish they would ask the questions publicly because yep. they're damn good questions. Mm-hmm. And I think the answers are good too. Yep. So I, I'm not, I'm f- way more interested in helping people solve this problem mm-hmm. than in actually solving it. I've been on the road for 25 years and I don't need to do that anymore. Yep. Uh, but I, it's such a powerful tool. I, I wished I could find another consulting company that just said, hey, we'll take that over from you. Yeah, <laughs> because nobody's nobody's doing it right. Yeah, right. Well, you know, you know, Jim, I have to say that you uh, certainly are going to get this public conversation uh, out. We're not going to be hiding this inside a messaging chat. This has been our opportunity to hear your point of view and to to share in your success. Thank you so much for um, keeping it real. <laughs> I might say, and and being the warrior that I promised you were going to be. <laughs> It's a pleasure to have you on our show, Jim. Thank you so much. You're very welcome.